You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Yo! Welcome into the House of L podcast. I'm Lawrence Holmes. Thanks so much for hanging out here with me. Got a treat of an interview for you coming up. And some fun things that are on the horizon. Man, let me tell you. Now the cat's out of the bag on Russ. Russ got his uh, new job over at Stadium. If you didn't Check out the episode with Russ. You really should. It's fantastic. I even got Russ to cry, and that wasn't even my attempt. I wasn't even trying. He said, I'm like Oprah. I'm not like Oprah. I I mean, if I can get those Oprah dollars, that would be great. But the episode with Russ is really top-notch. I hope you go back and listen to it. Scroll through all of the episodes of House of L. You'll... I guarantee you, you'll find something that you like or someone that you didn't know that you liked, which is great, which is part of the reason why I'm excited about you here in this episode, because this is, it's interesting. Ryan McGuffey is one of the people that's behind the scenes, but he's kind of slowly moved into the front of the scene, which I think is a good thing for everyone involved. It's good for him. It's good exposure to someone who I I think to be an incredible journalist. It's good for consumers. And White Sox fans especially, it's a good thing to have someone like him covering the White Sox. I've known him for a really long time in the business. He's one of the people that I appreciate. Like he's, He's someone whose opinion that I take fairly seriously if if he's got an idea I want to hear it I want to play off of that idea if I can he's a senior producer over at NBC Sports Chicago but he's a lot more than that like he he uses words and video and and puts it all together to to make incredible content But he's done a great job of really covering the White Sox. And this stretch of time that the White Sox are in, where they went from the the rebuild, the announcement of the rebuild happening, and Rick Hahn saying, look, we 
we've been doing it one way and we need to switch it up. And what was cool about that, I felt like White Sox fans who were experiencing what was going on with the Cubs were like, yeah, man, it's time for you to switch things up. And they they really bought in on the concept of it. And that's not an easy thing for White Sox fans to do. So they've bought in, and there's been a, a reward. The last two seasons, we've seen the White Sox make it to the postseason. We're trying to see if they can make it beyond one series. Baby steps. But the thing about Guff and the person who I most compare his coverage to is James Fegan. And the reason why is that both of those guys took it upon themselves to look to the future. And that takes some convincing. Like, that takes convincing of your bosses that it's worth the expenditure to spend two weeks in Charlotte or Birmingham just so that you can have the opportunity to get to know some of these guys as they as they make their way up to the major leagues. And and Guff and Fegan did that. It's why there's a depth to their co- coverage now. Fegan in the athletic and, and Guff over at NBC Sports Chicago. He's a secret weapon, man. Like, as far as me putting guests on the air, I love putting Guff on the air. Because he knows his stuff, he's got an opinion, and it's informed. It's really, really informed. But like I said, he's one of the really bright programmers on the television side. Like This is a guy that will be running a station at some point, if he wants to. If he wants to. like This is a guy that's going to be in charge of stuff. I look forward to interviewing with him for a job one day. It'd be, I think it would be a lot of fun. Hopefully he'll hire me. But I think that you'll get something out of it. If you're a White Sox fan, for sure you'll get something out of it. Because there are some great stories in this conversation, including his point of view on the trip that they took to Cuba, which I'm may I've heard this I've heard the story of the Cuba trip from my good friend Sierra Santos, and. Hearing it from Guff's point of view is really interesting. So sit back, relax, and strap it down. Senior producer over at NBC Sports Chicago, the man that you want in the room when there are questions to be asked about the White Sox, Ryan McGuffey on the House of L podcast. You are involved in a big-time way in baseball. How hard is it for you from a logistical standpoint of trying to put programming together and not knowing when baseball will return? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of layers to that question just because there's really nothing we can do. I mean, you kind of just have to pretend that you can't really even plan until like there's a there's a deal in place. 
which means everything's on hold, including, you know, some of this is pandemic related and some of it's CBA related. So, you know, you look at socks. I, I, I go back to two years ago, right now at this moment, as we record this and, and we did socks fest for the first time, uh, you know, I'd been talking about the way we did Socks Fest in 2000, how we used to have this live show and every player and Hawk and DJ hosted it. And it was just like a party and the fans were involved. And I had been talking about it for years and we did it two years ago, January and like January 25th or whatever it was. And it was amazing. And the White Sox loved it. The players loved it. You know, everybody at NBC Sports Chicago loved it. And it was kind of like, okay, we, this is, here we go. You know, the, and, the, and the White Sox were about to take off. And it was like, here's this ramp up as to like all the coverage we're going to start doing now. And then boom. And ever since then, Lawrence, you know, like the air has been let out of the balloon and the balloons and, and, and then you throw the CBA in the middle of it. And it's really tough to, I, to me, the best analogy right now is kind of a completely flat balloon where you haven't even started to flex it yet and blow it up. I just kind of feel like we're restarting everything from a programming standpoint uh, in baseball uh, and you have to use the pandemic because the pandemic has dictated so much about what we can and can't do. And then from a budget standpoint, you know, I think everybody's kind of on hold. And so you throw the pandemic in it, you throw the CBA in it, and it's just like a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of unanswered questions. And until some of them are answered in, in both in the CBA and the pandemic, it's hard for me to tell you that we have a plan. It really is. The part that I keep coming back to in multiple episodes, I've talked about this. So two years ago, I'm working at, at NBC Sports Chicago, and yeah. I'm, I'm taking over for J.J. because J.J. and his wife, Betsy, are getting ready to have their beautiful boys. So they were like, hey, do you want to go cover the Super Bowl? And I was like, yeah, I'll go cover <laughs> the Super Bowl. And I had a flight to Miami. They got canceled because there was a really bad snowstorm here. I end up go it was an ice storm actually because it was over pretty quickly, but the, they have canceled the flight like hours before. I go to Reggie's because the 108 guys were having their Sox Fest thing. So I, I go sit on the panel because I, I wasn't planning to be on the panel because I was going to the Super Bowl. I sit on the panel for that. I get on a plane on Sunday, go to the Super Bowl, do the Super Bowl for a week. By the way, I feel like I caught COVID at the beginning of COVID when no one knew what COVID was because when I got back from Miami, I felt like trash for four days. Then we have this incredible all-star game in Chicago. Oh. Yeah. Which was amazing. And it was, it really was like, it was, it was, it was. Chicago on its best behavior and, and putting our best foot forward. Then I left that. I go to spring training. I go talk to Joe Madden at, at, at Tempe, Tempe Diablo. I come back here. We're literally doing the show on NBC Sports Chicago. It was me and Russ and Jason Goff, and it was the day after the Rudy Gobert thing. Yep. And 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 it was like the world just stopped right at that, that was moment. It. And it feels it. it feels like ten years ago and yesterday at the same time. It's the uh, it's I, I completely agree with you. Um, I feel like the Rudy Gobert thing, certainly for, for us in sports media, like that's the moment, but that was kind of the moment period that, that moment, the Rudy Gobert moment, like the padding, the microphone, 
that really was the that was kind of the the, the America's wake up call. And and Lawrence, I re, like that's a remember where you were moment, right? Like you know exactly where you were. If you mentioned the show, we had had a meeting um, with Kevin Cross at the time, who at that time was you know our our, our general manager. And it was like this emergency meeting about working from home. And I laughed. I mean, how do you not laugh? Like, what do you mean work from home in this business? Mm-hmm. Like, like, good luck. And I was working at the same time. Simultaneously, I was working on uh, the 25-year special of I'm Back with Michael Jordan. And I kind of have all these backdoor channels. I had just been approved. This is a true story. I tipped. There's two things that happened. Tim Grover was coming in for an in-person interview the day Kevin Cross is telling everybody to go home. I left the emergency meeting to go greet Tim Grover at the door. And we did a full 45 minute sit down at NBC sports Chicago on the day that we were told to go home. Wow. That's one, two, we were greenlit to fly to Honolulu, me and me and Matt Buckman to get Don Don Nelson agreed to do an interview about Michael Jordan practicing secret practicing with the golden state warriors. We kind of, he, he has like this Airbnb thing off of his weed farm and in and Hawaii and we were green lit and we were trying to, we were just trying to hit go, go, go. And the idea of being like quarantine, like all these words now that are just so a part of our everyday language, you know, like work from home, quarantine, all those things were like, yeah, right. Like we're getting on a plane, we're going to keep going. And then poof, like poof, you know, like it was after the Tim Grover thing, it was, that was like the. I was pulling the plug on uh, literally and figuratively on lights and kind of looked over my shoulder and, and saw people like, Hey, like pack up your stuff. Like this is it. You're not coming back tomorrow. I still have, I, I'm sure it's in my, my glove box in the car. The letter that we would need to show authorities to be able to come downtown. I'm yeah. sure you probably had one too. Like, yep. cause Mitch had said to us, like we, he, the score did like, I couldn't believe how quickly we got up and running from home. Like yeah. it was the next week. Like we were ready. And then it was just a matter of could hosts not go crazy while, while they were at home. And, and I remember getting that letter and being like, holy shit. Like we, this is, this is a whole thing that, that we are going through. And, and it's, it's been crazy, but let me, let me bring yeah, it back yeah, to the yeah. White Sox for a second, because yeah. obviously, like we could sit here and do a whole thing. Oh my god, yeah. On, on COVID, it. You know how we are as White Sox fans, Guff. Like you deal yep. with White Sox fans every day, and all of it feels like act of God stuff that keeps the White Sox from from getting to where they need to be. Like you said, like you were ready to start. Like this was the on ramp of the whole world learning about the White Sox. And of course, of course, there's a global pandemic that keeps the White Sox from moving up. Yeah, and I'll be honest with you, uh, from like a, from a, I mean, you, I, I don't hide the fact that like I cover the team I also love and root for. Like, I, you know, I'm a Sox fan. I don't hide that. I don't run away from that. And, and I know there's that fine line of being professional and being, um, you know, fam, but I think, I, I think that, you, by the way, I think that you walk that line better than anyone. Well, I, I appreciate that. I think you do a pretty good job too. Um, but I think you have to, like, there has to be the, there's gotta be the time to put the hat on like the big boy hat, like, uh, you know, uh, last year, for instance, 
uh, when it wasn't going well for Tony in the first eight weeks of the season. And we weren't getting the questions that were needed to be asked on Zoom. I Like, someone has to put the hat on. And if we're not going to talk about the 3-0 thing, like, damn it, I will. Because, like, I'm, I cover this team. Yes, I'm not a beat writer, but I certainly showcase as many of the players as I can and have told the background of these, of these guys differently. And, and, you know, I, I'm not tooting my own horn, but some ways better than, than, better than most. I mean, Fegan certainly been there from the ground, but from the written standpoint and, but like I've been to islands and places and guys homes and in their living rooms and with moms and dads and scouts and sisters and brothers at dinner and like, there's a personal relationship that I forged with these guys when they were nobodies, you know, when they were the, when they were pieces of trades that people were pissed off about. And I took a lot of pride in that. And to your point about like kind of that on-ramp, I'm a little bitter about COVID to be honest with you. And, and I, this is a very selfish first world problem bitterness that I am. No that doubt. I, have. I, won't, I, I don't want to pretend to, 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 I, I I would like to separate the idea of what the pandemic has taken away from all of us. And then just in the, if I could table all of that, okay, please, because I don't want to get like thrown out there. Like, look at this guy. I lost my dad during the pandemic. Okay. Like I can go down the personal trail like everybody else, but from like all the work that I, that I put in and, and I did it for a lot of reasons because I thought that was the right way to go. I, I, like if we're going to do the the rebuild, I'm buying in and, and let's buy in. Like, let's teach the people who the, who are the guys, like, who are these people? And so by the time they get up here, everyone is all in and knows who these guys are. And they've seen them for the last two, three, four years. And then when it happened, like when it was time for the team to take off, like I felt like, you know, maybe this is, maybe this is naive, but like, I felt like maybe I was owed a little something Sure. or certainly that I had earned the right to, uh, I had earned the right to be, to be given the privilege when it was time to get the privilege. You know what I mean? I do. And, and now, you know, like there were times throughout last season and I just kept going, damn, like they may win the world series. And I just, and we're going to be doing, everyone's getting the same thing and there's no special anything. And there's no, um, and I wanted to be able to like take that baton across the finish line. I will, I still hope to, I wanted to be like the guy that rode the bus with the Birmingham Barons and, you know, Schittsville, Alabama on a random Thursday after a 10 30 AM baseball game and be with some of those same guys when they won the world series and their families and people's, you know, families that I've met to be like, man, like what a journey and, and what a way to be able to put it all together. And I, and I feel part of me, like I'm really pissed by the CBA because I think the media access thing, I think that's going to be very much a part of this. I, uh, I could see media access going forward in all sports really be challenged, uh, really be challenging. And especially baseball. The one thing I love about baseball and you know, this is the intimacy of, of the clubhouse time, you know, that 45 minute window you can make as much or as little of it as you want, Lawrence. You could stand around and do nothing, or you could put the microphone down and just go talk to a guy and go, how you doing? Like, how's your family? What's going on? I don't want an interview, but I might want one two weeks from now. But right now it's just you and me talking. And I, I just, I feel, I feel a little bit, uh, 
I feel a little bit, I, for lack of a better word, robbed, you know, I feel like it, from a, from a professional standpoint, I just kind of sit here and go, it's just, you know, ask, like giving away your stuff on zoom. Like, I mean, if, if that's the way we have to do it, you got to do it, but it's just, it just sucks. I feel like the, the baseball itself, because there is something sacrosanct about the clubhouse and like clubhouse as an organism, it'll be better off than the NFL. I think the NFL saw this and was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean we can keep these people out of our facilities and put them on Zoom? Woo, boy, are we going to have some fun with that? I think they're they're more than ready to make that something that stays beyond uh, COVID. You brought up something that I thought was really interesting, and I noticed this from my time when I started in the business I was an intern at Channel 9, and I worked as a field producer for Channel 9 once they figured out that I wasn't an idiot. They were like, here, take this microphone and go out and, yep. and, and get sound. What I always noticed, and you brought voice to, was how much photogs and producers know about what's going on. And I think that you're a really good example of an entity understanding that someone doesn't have to be forward facing to be valuable in your coverage. So I want to know how, how did that happen for you where you did get to a point where you felt comfortable enough to pull guys aside, to do interviews, to jump on a zoom, to ask targeted questions and not feel like you were stepping on anybody's toes. Yeah, it's a great question, Lawrence. Um, I don't think I've ever been asked that. And, you know, I think um, when you go into this business, you know, like I can go back to being four years old. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. You know, I knew I watching watching Super Bowl 20. I remember being like seven and, and I know exa- I could close my eyes right now and tell you everything about where I was pregame during the game, how excited I was. Um, you know, growing up in the eighties, I had one of, we had a projection screen TV. We got during super bowl, like the week of super bowl. And I thought, damn it, we are the richest people in America. <laughs> like, it, it had a slide bar on it to control the volume. I remember those. And, yeah. And when the bulls intros were played, like it was, if the bulls game was at seven o'clock, I was in third grade. It was like six fifty eight. I'm going, I'm sprinting down the stairs. The lights are off the slide bars all the way up. And I'm in the Chicago stadium. I'm in Chicago stadium. That's my basement. And, you know, and I'm, and I'm, I'm sitting there, Ray claying it, you know, like, and now, and, and, and I knew right away, like the first time I saw Bob Costas, um, I knew that like, I was like, I, that's what I want to do. And I, I, and I just kind of tackled that, but you go, you go into the business thinking like, well, I'm just going to go on camera. You don't know anything about all the, you know, the producing aspects, all the behind the scenes stuff. And like my, not like the one, you know, for some reason, like my gift Lawrence is like, I just, it's muscle memory for me. Like I hear a stat about the 1983 Super Bowl, and boom, file away. Um, I hear something. I, I, I read something. I research something. I dive in. And it's, I just don't forget it. I, I'm at a game and some memorable thing happens that might be memorable to like the player and the team that it happened to, but not to anybody else. Boom, I remember it. And I have a great story about that, but I, I won't tell it. But uh, 
to your point about like when I felt comfortable, I mean, the first time I got in the door and had the opportunity to field produce, I think it was at Birdo Center. You know, it's, it, it is, it's, you're nervous, you got the butterflies and you're looking around and it's like, you know, Gene Greco and Shanowski and the guys you grew up watching. And you're, I don't want to step on those toes, right? Cause like you're trying to, like you, at this point, you don't know if you're trying to be them or really like if you're in this business, if you're not in this business, like what does my credential even mean? Um, and then at some point, you just, I feel like, there's like the light bulb moment where you know that you're smart enough and you're talented enough to be there. And for me, you know, I think here's the thing. There are so many people that are good at like anyone can interview anyone. I really believe that, but it doesn't mean that's good. Listening is probably one of the greatest strengths any talent could ever have. And there are so many people that don't listen. It's like, here am I, and I'm not criticizing anyone in particular here. I, this is a this general is a statement. Yeah. General statement where I walk in with 10 scripted questions and those are my questions. And Lawrence, I'm asking question number three, and you might feel for some reason, you're going to be a little bit vulnerable and open a door. If I'm not listening to what you're telling me, which is an invitation to walk into the door and just scrap questions four through 10, or maybe get to them later because you're finding a way into something, maybe that there's a, there's a rabbit hole there that no one's gone down. I, I don't know in particular, like the first time that it clicked with me, but I do remember the first time I heard somebody say something to me that I was like, wait, can I, can I follow up on that? And they're like, sure. And it became like this thing, like, oh, if you actually listen, like if you're not so glued upon like the questions that you have and you listen, you're going to get way more than you'll ever possibly research. Because then it's like two people like you and I have known each other forever. Just two, but like we're, we're having a conversation, like you have questions for me, but to me, this is just like, I'm talking to Lawrence because I'm comfortable with you. And I'll probably say things to you during this interview that I haven't either said before I feel comfortable telling you. And that to me is like, that's, that was like the aha moment where it was like, okay. And then when you look around to the other reporters, cause like, I respect the hell out of every beat writer uh, in this city that that puts on their boots and travels 100 games a year, 162 games a year, 16 weeks a year, whatever you want to like, whatever sport it might be, you know, Casey Johnson's, uh, you know, is just showing up to work and all of a sudden he's on play by play. Like I love the beat, the beat guys, man. I the mad respect I have for those guys uh, is is tenfold. I've had quite I've had conversations with with the beat guys specifically with the white Sox, i said i hope you guys are cool with me asking questions like i said this years ago and then even on zoom like lawrence i still feel like um you know you wouldn't be called on if you hadn't earned the right to to ask a question i really feel like I'm, I'm, i feel that that's important to say like on zoom we don't get to dictate when we pop in we have to be called on um, but I still, I want to respect, like sometimes I'll have a question going in and I'll, I'll lay out for the first five, 10 minutes and let the beat guys. Cause to me, that's respect. Like I'm not in Seattle. Okay. Like I'm not just going to pop in with my two questions and pop out, but at the same time, I'm not going to wait around for 20 minutes either while we pitter patter and, and, and everyone gets their angles. And I'm just, I'm not, I did that for a while and then realized like I got a job to do too. So, um, it's a long-winded way of me telling you that my talent, for whatever reason, I, I, I can't do open-heart surgery, but I can tell you probably statistics that go 
way back in random ass games, both in Chicago and across the board. And I've used it all to my strength to, uh, to get where I'm at. And, you know, relationships matter to me. They really do. I take a lot of pride in, um, my name, my work ethic and my relationships. And if that's like, when it's all said and done and it's time for me to walk away either in my life or my career or whatever, I want those things to matter. I want people to be like, that was a great guy who treated people well and cared about what he was doing and cared about me. And I, I like one of my biggest uh, challenge, not challenges, but I feel like responsibilities in my current, in my role is to humanize these guys. And because, you know, it's impossible to say that we have any comparison with a guy who makes 25 or $30 million a year. But you know what we do? We do have, like, there are things that we have. Like, there, we can, if you can really get that guy, like I said, to invite you in, you can get why somebody may have a different understanding of that player and forget the contract or forget the year he had that was awful because he was dealing with a whole bunch of shit that you didn't even know about, but he just told you. And that to me, like, that's the stuff I love. Like I love at this point, Lawrence, like you talk about being a fan. I'm a fan of people. Like there are a lot of guys that have come in this town have gone in and out and I couldn't wait for them to, to leave. And there's a lot of guys that left that I'm like, damn, I wish we had two or three more years. And and I think that's going to continue. I still have, like, I care about the Chicago teams and I want them to win. And I think I want the fans to be rewarded. But I, to me, like, I've always said the people make the party. You don't, it doesn't matter where you can be in a closet. If you have the right people, man, you can have a hell of a time. And if you have the right people and you tell the right stories, I think, um, I think it reflects well on you. And I think it reflects well on, on the player and, and, and coach or whoever you're talking about. One of the things I like about what you said is how we go about asking questions and press conferences and the process of it. I now, because, you know, I'm in a different role than when I was covering the Bears every day. I get to pop in and out of yeah. White Sox or Cubs or Bulls. I get to pop in and out because I'm a talk show host. But I will say that one of the great things about that is I often, if I have any agenda when it comes to asking questions, it's to learn stuff. So I'm wondering how do you balance the learning aspect, like in a, in a formal press conference setting, I know that you're doing the work like behind the scenes, but yeah. in a formal press conference setting, valuing that similarly to I need to get this person to talk about this because we need this soundbite for this. Like, cause I always yeah. look at it as a way to, to learn more about the game. Like I love talking to, to Rick or Theo. We've been very lucky baseball wise. Like we've had, oh, yeah. we've no, had no. some people yeah. that, that are really good at explaining the game. Yeah. I get stuff out of someone taking two minutes to explain something thoroughly. Yeah. I think, um, I think it's time and place. I think it's time and place. So for, for me, I, if it's a zoom, a pregame zoom availability or postgame zoom availability, or, or if we're lucky enough to be in person, you know, and, and do the, I feel like if you have uh, a storyline that you're, that you really want to go down or a conversation that you want to have with them, I don't know if zoom's the time or place, you know, I think, uh, I don't think it is personally 
Um, however, on, in our current in our current format, like it might have to be. Sometimes you have to force the issue uh, on in those settings. If like for instance, if the White Sox are on a nine game road trip and it's day two, and you need to force that issue to get what what you want, I do think there's a uh, there's a placement where where that happens. I think let the day of game stuff be had, and then be like, hey, you know, Tony. Um, off topic or whatever, and then you ask your question. Now, in those in those situations, yet you're giving it to everyone, which to me, to be honest with you, Lawrence, I think that shit is way overrated these days. Like giving it away. Like if somebody writes about something and you do video of it, I think it, you know, to each his own. And everyone's been taking sound bites off each other for years based off of questions. So um, there were used to be people who got so mad about that, and I, I never understood it. I'm like, do whatever you want with it, you know, like. When you get them one-on-one though, like that's your one-on-one, but that's your time. If you're going to ask it in a group setting, it's the world's, everyone gets it. So, um, you know, I'll give you, I'll give you a story about last year. So I had never met Tony uh, in person and I had, I think it was after that Minnesota stuff, you know, like the three or four games when it was just like nonstop about your mean. And, And I was certainly right. Like, I think a couple of days, you know, asking some pretty tough questions, but they were not even, I don't call them tough questions. They were the, I think they're questions that need to be asked, you know, whether or not you call that tough questions today, you know, I think uh, the bears press conference, a lot of great questions. A lot of questions that had to be asked were asked, not tough. A lot of questions that had to be asked were asked. That's the way I look at it, but damn it. The next time the white Sox were at home, I had, I walked up to Tony and say, hey, Tony, how you doing? I'm Ryan McGuffey with NBC Sports Chicago. I do a lot of coverage on the White Sox. You know, I, I spent a lot of time with this team, yada, yada, yada. I just want to tell you, like, I don't like hiding behind the zoom lens, even though we're visible. Uh, I ask questions. I've probably asked you 100 already. I'm going to continue to ask them, but I wanted to put a face to the name. And we had, you know, a, a nice two or three minute conversation. And, you know, Tony put his hand on my shoulder and was very complimentary about walking up to him and, and introducing myself. And, um, you know, I thought, but, but that's who I am, Lawrence. Like, that's part of the, when I ask for something down the road, like, we've already done this before, even in this tough environment of COVID. And I'm going to continue to do that. That's that's just the way I feel like, I think this is the respectful way, the right way. I think you're allowed to ask tough questions if you're allowed to ask um, softballs and, and you're allowed, whatever the process that allows you to get to the result that you need to, like, I think you it requires, you know, it requires the, the easy and the hard in order to make it happen. But to me, it's, again, it's, at the end of the day, it's about the relationship. What's a moment that you've had, and it doesn't have to be White Sox, it can be anything, because you've done a ton of stuff that you can't believe that you were a part of? I I can't believe I've gotten to ride this roller coaster. I mean, for 20 years, 20 plus. Um, you know, like I think about all the cool stuff that I've gotten to do. And sometimes it's just like, Sometimes it's been luck, but sometimes it's been earned. I feel like a lot of times I want to say it's been earned. Um, certainly to be in the clubhouse in 2005 and 2016, it's a very small group of people, mm. right? A very small group of people, I can say that they were in both. And I, I was part of that 16 ride with the Cubs from start to finish, certainly all through the playoffs. 
um, in the clubhouses and, and with the players and then chasing them down to do Rainman afterwards. And, you know, a lot of people are like, how can you do that? You know, how, how can you, how, how can you like be on board with the 16 Cubs? And again, you know, like it's about relationships. And I, I, I had a couple guys I was truly rooting for. And, and most importantly, you know, I have family and friends that are Cub fans. You know, my brother's a Cub fan. That's his fault. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but if you don't think I was happy as hell for him when, when that, when Chris Bryant threw to, to Rizzo for the final out, that's just asinine. And I knew it, you know, game seven, I remember, uh, I remember everything about game seven. And I remember, I remember at some point saying to everybody, like, give me 15 minutes, I'm going to do a lap. And I walked up to the top of the upper deck behind home plate and took a picture, just kind of the scene. And I did that a couple different, in a couple, couple different spots. Cause I, I just wanted to take it all in. And I saw Pedro Gomez, the late Pedro Gomez, the best, like a great friend, um, a guy I met in Cuba when I when I did this trip with the White Sox, or when I did this trip with Major League Baseball, and I, and him and I were boys after that. Like everybody can tell a great story about Pedro, and he grabbed me, and, and like bro hugged me and, and said, "Get someone to take our picture right now." He goes because I want to make sure that we both are in the same picture on the night something big happened for Cleveland or Chicago. And so, I, you know, I, I just think like, be, I think that's probably my answer, like being, being in the clubhouse of the Cubs and the White Sox, when they both broke these 88 and 108 year curses and, or whatever you want to call them, curses, droughts, whatever you want to call them, you know, two of the longest at that time. And like, that was crap that I dreamed about as a kid. And then to be able to part of those in those celebrations and now think about it, to think about it now, wondering if it'll ever happen again, you know, if, and when the white Sox get to win the world series, like, will it be a video that's sent out to all the media entities and we just get to air the same thing? Mm. It might be, I don't, I can't tell you yes or no. And, you know, being a part of that, that 2005, six bears run, I was on the field, every single game field period on the field in the coldest moments. I ran up the second Robbie gold, kicked the field goal to beat the Seahawks. I sprinted with Zach. Me and little Z are racing down the, down the middle of the field to get the microphone in front of Robbie. And we're the first two questions, like, you know, just thinking about, just thinking out loud here with you, a lot of little moments like that, that were at the biggest times, right? Like some of the biggest moments of the last 20 plus years in Chicago sports history, which are some really, really, maybe it's some of the most important moments in Chicago sports history, you know, chasing down the Stanley Cup at 2.30 in the morning at O'Hare and getting it to Harry Carey's and Higgins and then driving from Higgins, driving from Harry Carey's, passing my house to get the tape down, down downtown so we can turn it out on the air by 6.30. Um, you know, just just you bringing up that question makes me think about a lot of stuff like that. It's just, it's you can, I can write a book about it. And like, I've always, I re, I've told my wife and, and friends and, and family that if it all ends tomorrow, Lawrence, like, this part of my life, like not my life, but like ho hopefully I can be around for another 50 years. If this part of it ends and I have to go in a different chapter, I'm like, what a damn book. Like I feel extremely lucky, fortunate and everything else to be able to live out a dream. A kid from Portage, Indiana, that was, you know, not a lot, of, like, I don't know how many people truly believed in me. I had to, it was kind of like the little engine that could, and I just refused to say no. And I still refuse to say no. I, I don't like the word no. 
Uh, we hear it a lot when we request interviews and, and all kinds of other crazy requests. And, you know, I just, that's not an acceptable answer for me all the time. It's, and I'm not going to let it continue. It will never be an acceptable answer, ever. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. People don't get the, not just the Cubs thing for those of us who are White Sox fans in local media, but this particular brand of Cubs thing. Yeah. These were guys we liked. Like, quite, and, and, and to be real honest, there's not, a, there's not a White Sox fan that if Theo was like, yeah, I'll be in charge of the White Sox, wouldn't have been like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. So, yeah. When it felt like to me, it felt like, oh, the the nice guys from down the street are getting ready to win the the World Series. That's awesome that they're going to do it. I'm happy for them. And then you add the historical aspect of it. Being there, being able to be, I got to be on the field when they won the NLCS. And I thought, I hadn't thought about it because, you know, you're used to being around the, the batting cage. You're used to being in the dugout, clubhouse, all of that stuff. I wasn't, I'd never been center field. Yep. And then you're like, you take a minute and you go, holy shit. Like, I'm, I am in center field as the Cubs just figured out that they are going to the World Series. It was, it was historic. And so... I mean, I know that there's some playful, like, tongue-in-cheek, like, bitterness that that we're supposed to carry with us and not hope that those guys do well. If it's Cubs versus White Sox, fine. I want yep. the White Sox to bury them. But if if it's – I'm definitely not rooting for Cleveland. Like, I'm not – like, that's not something that I want to have happen. So that, that particular group of Cubs, like Madden, Jed, yep. Theo – how could you not like that group of guys? I had envy, you know, for like, sure. A hundred percent. I think 2005, first of all, helped all of that. all helped every bit of 16. You know, this would be a different conversation if 2005 never happened. And the Cubs were the first team in Chicago to win the world series, like in a hundred plus years. That to me might be, that, this might be in a complete, a completely different conversation, but you know what? It's not. Oh, five happened. Uh, will forever love everything about that team, Ozzy and everything else. And it allowed me to embrace 16 and it allowed me to embrace the rebuild, the, the White Sox rebuild. And I think that's important for White Sox fans who, who've bought into the rebuild. Like it's okay. The blueprint is eight miles North. That thing, like they, there's some failure within their rebuild. No doubt. The free agents, you know, were not the greatest and they didn't, they weren't able to lock up any guys. The White Sox have like the White Sox have locked up a lot of their guys and they are a scary team, regardless of what happens when the CB, like whoever they signed for 2022 and beyond, they're scary for the next five years. And like, I'm glad 16 happened. I am. I am glad 16 happened because I think 
it helped the future of the Chicago White Sox. I really do. I think it gave Jerry Reinsdorf proof when Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams walked in and said, we got to do this. Like, because look, it's, there's proof. And the Cubs aren't the only team, right? Like they were able to show this is happening throughout baseball, but it's certainly when it happens in your backyard, I think it's a little bit more eye-opening. And then like you mentioned, the, the White Sox are really likable right now, right? Like there's a lot of really likable players on this team, a lot of likable talent, which is kind of similar to what happened with the Cubs. And it's always not going to end ceremoniously, right? I mean, like the trade deadline, the Cubs just kind of dissipated and like they're a new team and going forward, but they still had 16 and they still like, they had some of the best, like Theo, when the Cubs got Theo, I just remember going, holy shit. Like it's real. Like, and when, you know, when the white, when the white Sox, when the Cubs signed John Lester, I remember exactly where I was. It was like 12.07 AM. I know exactly when that happened, it was like, okay, like wake up baseball. Like this is really going to happen. Like the Cubs are going to be good now. And like I said, I'm really glad that it happened. And I'm glad that I got to be a part of it because I, I think it helped lay the foundation for what we're in right now. Are you a Spanish speaker? Uh, it's, I am a Spanglish speaker okay. that. and it's my biggest, like, I don't, li- I don't, I'm not a big regret guy. I, uh, I took five years of Spanish, went to college, took a placement exam. I thought I was looking at something I'd never seen before. I get out of the placement exam and the girl says, congratulations, you've tested out of Spanish. And I was like, well, what does that mean? She goes, you've fulfilled your requirement, you, you know, for, for your elective in foreign language. And what I needed her to say was, congratulations, you should en- enroll in Spanish 301. And then just see what happens from there if you want to not, because Lawrence, if I could go back and tell 17, 18 year old Ryan McGuffey, one thing to do, it would be keep on Spanishing because it's going to be so valuable to you at some point later in your career. And my, it's, if my wife was here right now, she would tell you, like, I talk about it all the time. I, yeah, I've done the babble thing. I've done Duolingo. It's hard when you're, yeah, it's hard when you're when when you're in your forties and you have a young family and like you're trying to do something for yourself. Like, do you really want to sit down and throw thirty minutes of spend? Like, it's just not a, it's not easy. And there's opportunities. So again, long-winded question, a long-winded answer. It's it's the one thing that I'm like, damn it, but I've spanglished. I yeah, I I, I want to say that there's a there's a trend now that I think they they call it passive bilingual, where mm-hmm. you can understand a lot, you can read a lot, but maybe you're not a fluent speaker. And I'm I'm I think with the White Sox in particular and baseball overall, it's a you're right, like it's a very valuable trait to to have if you've got that in your bag. And every now and again, like I'll listen in on on players talking, and I'll pick something up. Uh, of it and yeah. I'm trying to do better at that but I wanted to ask you about that because I wanted to know what Cuba was like for you I I mean I've talked with Sierra about Cuba and, and what it was like for her and I've had a couple conversations here and there with, with with Jose Abreu about it but what was it like for you to go there and see baseball in a completely through a completely different lens there's two trips I'm forever thankful for in my career Cuba's one the Dominican with the White Sox prospects is, is 1A. And Cuba was not supposed to happen for me, actually. I don't know if you know this. 
um, I had set up something with Madden to go cover Hazleton and we were going to spend like three days in Hazleton and we still did that. And then, the, and then simultaneously this, this baseball, uh, goodwill tour, that's what they called it. The major league baseball goodwill tour. It was like shortly like after Obama and, and, and Cuba had kind of ironed out the, the relations, um, that they were going to do this trip. And when Kevin Cross heard about it, he was like, we got to go on that trip. Anyways, he calls me in his office. He's like, Hey, how's your passport? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, do you have one? I said, yes. He's like, is it current? I said, yes. He goes, you're going to Cuba. I said, when? He said, Monday. I said, well, that's not true. I'm going to go to Hazleton, Pennsylvania with Joe who spent like the two months setting this up. He's like, yeah, I was going to send Sarah, but Sarah's passport's expired. She's going to Hazleton. You're going to Cuba. And you know, I was initially pissed off about it because I felt like, man, like I've set this up. It's the best thing I got. I always, I've thanked Sarah time and time again for having her passport expired. Cause like what an opportunity to go to, I mean, to go to Cuba to, it was absolutely amazing. I've said to everybody that would listen that everyone should get to go to Cuba um, in their lifetime, just for the cultural experience. The people were incredible. Uh, everyone like everywhere else in the world is trilingual. Uh, they know Spanish, they know English and they are Russian, of course. Um, and it just was an incredible opportunity to have, I'll say this, I think it took, it took my relationship as like a regional sports station that covers the White Sox. And all of a sudden you're thrust into a relationship with major league baseball, like the higher ups at major league baseball, and you're riding a bus, you know, there's only 11 entities in the country that were there. Okay. So like, Abreu and Alexi. Alexi was at the tail end of his career, at the tail end of his White Sox. I don't. I think he was a free agent. So like they were there. So the, we got to go. There was a Dodgers. A Clayton Kershaw was there, and then they had a couple of national writers. David Hall was there locally, and so Pedro Gomez was kind of was ESPN's guy, and uh, and, and we were all just thrown in a ho- like the same hotel which was not the player's hotel. We were like a walk, like a couple block walk from, from like the extremely, you know, the one extravagant five-star hotel in, in, uh, in Havana. And we were on this bus every day. We had like this bus escort with a, with like a guide. And it just, it forced conversation. Like I was, this is no joke. Like we are, I'm sitting on the uh, bus to go to the, the United States ambassador's house which was, they weren't going to take us. It wasn't going to be media. It was just players only. And then the ambassador and said, media can come, no cameras, no microphones, just enjoy the reception. So I was like, all right. So I'm sitting on the bus. So I turn Lawrence. I, I'm like, my elbow's like touching somebody else's elbow. It's Dave Winfield. No way. Yeah. I'm like, oh, how you doing, Dave? He's like, hey, how are you doing? Where are you from? And it's like, well, Chicago. And he's like, oh, great. And like, it forced this, it, like Joe, you turn to you know behind you. There's Joe Torrey, um, and like the players were riding the bus with us. Like you would turn it. Like Nelson Cruz was there. Clayton Kershaw. I have great Kershaw. Like I love when I love Clayton Kershaw because of that trip, and it just it it thrusts us into a, a different type of relationship that you would an experience that you would never get anywhere else if it was in America at any ballpark in America. Uh, to see how these guys are, are uh, loved in Cuba. I, I remember, I'll never, it's burned into my brain forever when I saw Jose Abreu get off the bus and like people were crying. Grown men 
we're reaching out to hug Abreu. And Abreu, of course, because we know, is hugging them back, right? He's, every guy, he's stopping, he's fist pumping, he's taking pictures. And I'm not kidding you, Lawrence, grown men in tears because Jose Abreu represents something that's bigger than anybody in this country can understand. It's, it, it's, we can't understand what Jose Abreu represents to those people because he, for them, he represents a way out that they'll never get, but they feel like they're always attached to him. And so there's like this personal bond that again, it's tough. Like we look at these guys as just like athletes and, and superstars and, and they have, you know, every, houses and cars and everything else. And these guys look at people as an escape. And it was an absolutely unforgettable uh, experience that I will, it's, when you asked me like, what's like a, a couple of questions ago about, you know, I said the, the clubhouse, like these, these, these one-off trips, like they're in a different conversation. Like sure. I follow, I file those away in a different, a different vault. And that's what I took away from Cuba. I took away from Cuba that like, holy, like this means more, this is life to these people. Like for us, it's an escape for like three hours. It's a game, you know, it's not that serious. If you said that in Cuba to some of these people, they they hit you in the jaw and because you know we know the stories of these guys we know how jose abreu escaped you know like he put his life on the line and because he did that what it means to the people uh in cuba i saw every bit of it for that week but we were there and i mean there was great stories and we partied with alexi and uh so like just things that I, I don't even know like i remember in the moment going like how did we get here like <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's great. And so Cuba, and then the one thing I'll say about the Dominican, the Dominican winter league, I, I wish every baseball fan could, could witness not for, on TV, sit in the stands of a Dominican winter league game, because that is what major league baseball needs. I told Brooks, like they need to have a Dominican winter league night where the Vuvuzelas are just flaring. There's an in-house band playing in between pitches and guys walk up to walk up, walk up songs and like in between every pitch, boom, they blast it for 20 seconds and then it's back. And it's a party. It's just a flat out party, not in between innings. They have dancers and it's like, it's nonstop action for three plus hours. And it is eye-opening. And the players, I remember being with the White Sox, like a lot of the prospects who are now part of the major league club saying, this is exactly what we need. One of my colleagues at DePaul, um, Dr. Moya, Dr. Maria De La Moya, she, I had a conversation with her because I was working on my master's and I, my final project was about the media framing of Latino players. And I asked her about it because she knows about, she studies this, this is part of what her PhD is in, but she's also Dominican. And I asked her about it and she said, it's hard to explain baseball fandom in the Dominican. Yep. And I was like, what do you mean? She goes, well, it's important that you have to understand that she's like, this, this is going to sound stereotypical. She's like, but it's okay. Cause I'm Dominican. We're loud. And I was like, what do you mean? We're loud. And she goes, she goes, it's not just our voices. It's pots and pans. Yep. It's whatever you can find 
to make news. And she was going back. I want to say she was actually going back for the Winter League. And she said there's nothing like it. There's, there's no baseball experience like watching Dominican baseball. And as she said it, I was like, I really want to – I want to explore. So I've gone to Puerto Rico, and Puerto, Re- Puerto Rico takes its baseball extremely seriously there. And there's a lot of fun that goes into it. But everything that I've seen, everyone that I've talked to who's gone and, and been a part of baseball in the Dominican Republic tells the same story. And I'm like, you're right. We need to bring all of that stuff. Like, we take whatever that we can from it and learn from it and add it to who we are. I think your idea of Dominican baseball night would be awesome. But And guess what else? Think about what it's going to mean to those guys who are Dominican. It's another way to connect their game to Major League Baseball. Like, it's twofold. It's not just about giving the fans the experience. Give it to the players. Give it to the guys who haven't, like, you know, Dylan Cease was, I remember sitting right with Dylan Cease, and he was, like, looking around going, this is awesome. Like, give it to those guys who've never seen it either. But I just feel like there's so much that baseball gets from guys in the in Latin America. Give it back to them for once, you know? Like, why? Baseball has so many problems, and they're self-inflicted for the most part. God, like, give people a real experience. That's an experience. Like, that's going to leave people talking, right? Like, the Field of Dreams game. Like, that's a, like we're going to forever talk about that game. That was an experience. But, like... Have somebody on a Tuesday night, dude, or let, let it be a Friday night, actually. Yes. And yes, let it be a Friday night and do the do Dominican Winter League night and let it ride and hand out Vuvuzelas to not just 10,000, to every fan that walks in the building. Have a house band. Change the have, uniforms, too. Have, change? No, exactly. Give it, give it the whole – you change the uniforms, that's an opportunity for what? You know? To sell them. I know that exactly. Brooks is about that. Like, cause, yeah. cause you know, we love all of the alternate stuff when it comes to, to the white Sox. You've been super gracious with your time. I only got a couple more. I mean, I have yeah. millions more questions, but I'm here for you, Lawrence. I, I want to ask you a little bit more about Jose Abreu and, and the white Sox connection with Cuba, seeing Minnie Minoso finally get into the hall of fame. Like it was, it was emotional for me. And the reason why is that I think that, you know, we like we talked about, White Sox fans always have this kind of built-in chip on the shoulder. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this was one of baseball's great players during a time when the White Sox, like it, it meant more, you know, back in the 50s and 60s when, when many started playing here. I felt so, like he had been so disrespected by not already being in the Hall of Fame. But you got to see up close the impact that that guy had on the White Sox overall and kind of what the that reaction had with those players. And you see Jose Abreu then become MVP. What's it like? What was it like for you to see many go into the hall? Bittersweet because it's – for everything you just said, like, why? I, I just don't, I hate, I, I'm ecstatic for Minnie Minoso and his family, but it's a joke. Like, just like Ron Santo, like, like it's a joke. And 
Minnie should have had that opportunity. I was at spring training when Minnie passed, and I remember how emotional it was walking into Camelback that day. And I remember Jose talking to the media and, and talking about his impact. And I'll just say this for White Sox fans who never met Minnie Minoso, who was like, like you mentioned, like the happiest guy you've ever met. Even if he didn't know you, he pretended like you were like his long lost son or something. Um, if you think the White Sox would have Jose Abreu, Yoan Mancado, Luis Robert, Oscar Colas, all these guys that are coming, like, you know, um, uh, Cespedes, the, the, the guys who continue, well, Alexi Ramirez, like guys we forget about, you know, Duque. even El Duque, even to some extent, like a guy like Yaz, you know, who's a Cuban descent. If you don't think that Minnie Minoso is the reason, the guy who paved the way for all of that, you're insane. Like he, there's not enough statues that could be built for Minnie Minoso on the South side. Like that's how, that's how important of a player he was. He means so much to not just White Sox history, but White Sox present, you know, he like the, the foundation that Minnie built takes the field every single day for mm. the White Sox. Mm. What a great it's, way to put that. So I was, yeah, I was, to me, when, when I found out, like, I, I was just like, oh, yeah, like, thank God. What do we do? Why was there a hall of fame if Minnie Minoso wasn't in it? I, I just don't understand it. And I'm glad he's in, and I'm glad his family is getting the opportunity to celebrate it and celebrate his life and his legacy and his career. I just, it's it's hard not to say it's bittersweet. Now let's talk about Jose Abreu. Because when you were talking about Jose Abreu and the impact that he had being in Havana, I don't know if... I'm going to be careful how I do this because I'm going to feel a little bit like Hawk. <laughs> the way that people respond to him, teammates, front office, ownership, fans... It's hard to come up with a, a comp for that. The only person that I can really think of is Konerko in recent vintage. But then there's the the larger like cultural aspect of Ho- Jose Abreu. I'm, I'm amazed by him because White Sox fans ride for, for Jose Abreu. Like everyone gets it. Everyone gets that he doesn't have to, to speak English fluently to be the captain of that team. Everyone knows who the captain of the team is. I remember when, when Tim got hit by the Royals with, with the bat flip, and he got hit by the Royals. And I remember Tim was like, all right, cool, let's go. And then Jose walked out there. And Tim was like, oh, okay, I'm going to go over here because big man came out here, and I don't want no part of any of that. Yeah, you know – the comp thing is an interesting, uh, interesting point. I actually don't think there is one. You know, Canerco, I think you could maybe find a way to at least start the argument. But I, he amazes me too, Lawrence. I, I, there's a, I just, my jaw is, I'm, I'm like in awe a lot of times because I'm like, look at, look at, have you ever seen a teammate cry because a guy won an MVP? Like, seriously, can you think about an anybody that's ever got emotional? for one of their teammates winning an MVP, I, at least in recent memory, I, I can't. Guys are happy, but they're not in tears about it. It's like, different. 
Yeah, and it's 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 almost as if the his White Sox just culture, fan base, front office, teammates, everyone feels a little bit of that. Um, and again, I want to be careful how I say this too, but feels a little bit of that a little bit of what I was talking about how the people in Cuba see him. They they see him as more than a baseball player. And I feel like for whatever reason, Jose Bray has been able to bring that to the South side and just let it resonate. And he's like, he's not the rah-rah guy. Like that's the Canerco type, like, right. Like lead by example, go to work every day, work hard, shut your mouth, get hit by a pitch, go to first like that. There's the Canerco, I think part of it. And then I just think about like, every like he's he's struggling and then you look down and it's 30 and 100 right you know and like he's struggling there's two outs and runners at first or second and third and he he line he just bloops one into right field when he's in a one for 17 and the two runs come in to take the lead uh i think with what he represent he's he was the perfect guy at the perfect time for the white Sox to come in when they still were trying to piece together championships and then to really kind of let him wear the cape during the rough parts of the rebuild. Cause I think that's when the real, if you want to go, like you want to respect Jose Abreu, look at the, go back and look at those lineups in 17, 18 and 19 when he was doing 30 and hundred and look at some of those guys he was driving in. Like you forget real damn fast because of the last two years, all the stuff we've gone through who he was driving in, who was hitting in front of them, who was hitting hitting behind behind him. him. Yes. Yes. Who were the people that were hitting behind (laughs) him? You're like, Ooh, there were not a lot of good choices on, on filling out the lineup card today, but yeah, he is, he's amazing. And I love the attachment that white Sox fans have with him. It's very cool to see the genuine joy for him winning the MVP people wanting to see the White Sox go far in the playoffs because they love Pito and and they understand yeah. what he's been. He, you know what? It's almost like he's a bit of a scion for the rebuild itself. Like we all, like he had to live it. Like we were living it as fans. He was living it inside that that clubhouse every single day and bringing you excellence that that whole time. And now he's got some help. You know, uh, and he wanted and he wanted to see the other side. Like he needed to not only just be like be the guy who wore the cape, but he was like, "Damn it, if I don't produce, I'm out of here for the back end." So, you know, tip your cap to that. But the one thing you said earlier, it does stick out. Like there have not been a lot of Spanish speaking players that have come through Chicago that fans have attached themselves to that only speak Spanish, because they will. It's we have this just this arrogant. Uh, it's 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 the philosophy as a country, you know, come here, you learn our language. Whereas you go any other country in the world and at worst they're bilingual. Uh, I don't want to go down that road, but honestly, like let's learn his language. Like let's learn his culture. Like what makes him tick? Where does he like to hang out? What are the things that make him comfortable when he's in a city like this in the first couple of years and trying to figure out who he is? We don't think about any of that. We just plop these guys in the minor leagues and, and the, you know, the, some of the biggest dumps in America and just go figure it out. And hopefully you make the big leagues. You're the number 10 prospect in the country or in the world in in major league baseball. And he's made it happen. Like, like you said, like you look at a white Sox game right now and look at the jerseys and the jerseys, 
There's a hell of a lot of 79s and 88s and 10s out there. I guarantee you that. I guarantee you they make up 70% of all of the jerseys and jerseys the White Sox fans wear. They're all Cuban. What's your advice for talent? Like you get an opportunity to see stuff produced. You put together these incredible pieces. What do you want talent to know about how they're presenting themselves? Well, I mean, my question to talent on that question would be, how do you want to be presented? You know, do you want to come across? Is it being all about you? Because we can do that. It won't be good, but it'll give you your platform and it'll be a platform for a while. I just feel like it, it's some of the basic principles like that we all grew up, you know, learning, you know, like treat others the way you want to be treated. And I always thought like the talent thing that there, that's a balance. That's a talent in itself. Talent is figuring out how to work with talent. And I, I think sometimes you, you can't be afraid to push back. And I think the first time that you do that in a respectful way, where you can really say like, where that talent can, can meet the producer head on and say, Hey, look, there is a fork in the road here and I'm standing in the fork. And now you have to like, you get to pick the route you want to go, but I'm not getting out of the way this time. Like I have for you in the past. And that's not an ego thing with the producer. Like it's, it's, this is a, you have to massage it out and really feel like what's in the, what's in the best interest of, of the story we're trying to tell. You know, does it need a stand-up with you in, in front of the, the planetarium? I don't think it does. You know, like no one cares that you're proving that you're in Chicago. We can lose that 30 seconds and play a better soundbite. Um, mm. I guess my talent or my, my, my advice would be to work together, be collaborative. What, what's the goal of, is the goal to be, have a strong piece and present a strong story? or to get all the accolades because being talent you're going to get sometimes you're going to get accolades you, you know that you really didn't do much you voiced a piece or something and didn't do any of the work and sometimes you laid the foundation did all of it and it might not necessarily have your stamp on it the way you wanted it or expected it in the end i just think it's it's all about it's just really about mutual respect because I think we all have the same, like if we were all just, if we took ego out of the mix and you just want to do a great show or a great story or a great documentary, then if, if it was just about that all the time, and it, then I think it's an easy relationship, but you gotta, and this, and, and I've had to do this too. You know, I, I've not, I've, sometimes I've thought like my way is the right way. And if you're not willing to take advice from all people you know like lawrence don't ever put me at a conference table where 12 people vote 12 nothing i'm not kidding if that's the meeting that i don't want to be in it i don't want to be in a meeting where 12 people say yes and zero say no i want eight to say yes four to say no or 10 to say yes and two to say no and walk out of there and like letting those two that said no really challenge my thought for the next time you know go huh that's a really good point we're not going to be able to get that in now but damn it, next time I think that, that that could make sense. That's like that's like that's evolving. And that's what I think talent, think about talent 30 years ago, 40 years ago, when we were those kids that I was talking about, you know, growing up on think about how much talent has changed. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
a lot of people are kicking talent to the side. I don't necessarily agree with that either. So it's evolved. Some of it's been forced. Um, some of it's not made sense, but it's not like anchorman days anymore either. So I just feel like it's, it's a mutual admir. I, I admire the hell out of this entire industry because it's a survive and advance business. And it's, it's really, it's, it's not as big of a fraternity as you, as you thought it was when you got into it. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty small. And when you realize like when you're all in there sweating and your elbows are fighting with each other to put the <laughs> microphone in the same guy's face and you grab somebody else's microphone from channel seven or five or two or wherever and go, I got you. Cause I have a better spot. I got you. Cause like you're sweating and your heart rate is 140. I got you because we all got each other. And like, that's the way I look at with talent. Like I got your back. I will, I will fight for you. And I hope at the end that you would fight for me. And that's just kind of how I look at the whole business. Like that's how I've made friends with this, this, it's not even friends, it's respect. And I respect so many people and the work they've done. And I've learned so much from so many other people. And, and, you know, I got to work with Gene Greco for the first time in my career on New Year's Eve and it was one of the best things that I've gotten to do because I've respected Mark Jean Greco for a long ass time and certainly, you know, watched him growing up and stuff. And I just, I get I, like those little like notches in the belt are just things I, I, I truly, um, I truly just cherish and I cherish opportunities, Lawrence. So I cherish opportunities to work with people and meet new people. And I guess that's how I feel about talent. Like, if I don't, if I showed them that side right out of the gate, like I'm giving you like, here's, I'm stripping it down. Like, here's who I am. I'm Ryan McGuffey and here are the three principles I represent. And it's all about like making this work. I think it's, for me, it's, it's gotten to be pretty easy. And if you, it's like humanizing an athlete, like who are you as a person, like take off your sport coat and have a beer and like, let's figure it out. One more thing. You work with one of the best storytellers in the history of the earth in Ozzy Guillen. What's it like to work with Ozzy Guillen? Uh, dream. It's a dream. Um, you know, I told Ozzy this when I was a kid, you know, probably some of my favorite White Sox teams were some of the worst teams of all time. Uh, like 87 <laughs> through 1989, like Gary Reedus in center field, uh, Yvonne Calderon leading the team with 14 home runs. Uh, those like 67 and 95 White Sox that if you would have told me that they, I thought they were 95 and 67. I mean, hundred percent. And I, there were, I, I brought my baseball cards to the game at old Comiskey and fought my way through the golden, golden box seats. And I always brought, you know, everybody's card, but there were two players that signed every single time two. And I had Ozzy guess, and he didn't guess himself until like 10 players in. I go, Ozzy, you signed every single time. Ozzy and Don Paul are the two. Get out of here. Yeah, Ozzy and Don Paul. I probably, if, if you gave me a couple hours, I could probably dig up an old binder that had, I, I plan on doing it at one point with Ozzy. I'm, I'm hoping to have a camera for it because I know I probably have 15 or 20 Ozzy cards. But the reason I tell that story is because I think it says a lot about who he is. Um, he's that same guy today. He's so lovable. He's, he cares so much about people. He cares so much about the people that he admires and respects and loves. Like I, I use the word love because he does, he shows it like Ozzy checks in on me. Ozzy is a friend. He's, 
it, you know, the first time I, I thought about like Ozzy and Frank, like working with the two of them and, and, and doing stuff and having like relationships outside of work with them. It was like, it was almost kind of, and I don't get starstruck really at all anymore. Um, that's kind of past us at this point, but there's a couple of times where you kind of take, take a step back and be like, you kind of forget, you kind of go back to that six, seven, eight year old self and think about like, how did I think the path, it doesn't feel like it was that long ago, Lawrence, right? Like it doesn't feel like going to a game at old Comiskey felt like that long ago. And then here we are 40 years, like 35 years later. And, and I, my favorite part of Ozzy certainly, you know, just what a treasury is to have on the air. You know, the best shows certainly are the three hours off the air. Uh, no doubt. Room. I mean, th those are the best, but for me, my favorite part is when Ozzy Guillen sends me a picture of his family and says, happy new year. I love you, bro. Um, and I send one back that says the same thing with my family. And he compliments, you know, my kids or, you know, golfs with me on my birth, like went golfing on our, on my birthday with a, a small group, like with Chuck and stuff. And um, I just, to get to see that Ozzy, like I'll say that here's what I'll say about Ozzy game. We went to the field of dreams, right. In Dyersville, Iowa. Here's what he wanted. Nothing. We stayed in like, probably the shittiest country and in suites that I've ever experienced. It was in Dubuque and it wasn't even like, it was like in West Dubuque. <laughs> so like, <laughs> I, don't even, I don't even know if like Dubuque has a bad part, but like we were in West Dubuque and we pulled in and we checked in and we kind of looked at each other and he's just like, I just need a place to throw my crap and put my head. All he cared about was when we get done working tonight, where are we going to hang out together? He goes, I don't want to go to a bar. I don't want to go to a restaurant. I just want to like hang out on a picnic table. And they had this gazebo. And before we checked in, he walked to the back of the gazebo. He looked around. He goes, this is where we're at right here. This is where we're going to be. And Lawrence, we came back. I mean, we basically didn't even go to the room. We just dragged the cooler and we just sat there. And like he, it was like, he was just, he was just a guy, right? I mean, he should have got the Padres job. Yes, he, he should have. And and he's a dude like Ozzy's a dude. And I, I think that he loves people. He respects people. Don't burn him. He's certainly a good guy to have on your side. Um, he's, but he's an easy guy to love because he shows it right back. Guff, this was a joy, man. I, I really appreciate you doing this and being a part of the pod. And I know I've learned a ton from you about the TV business. So I'm glad that you had time and, and I think that you've done all right for yourself as talent, too. Like, I, I think that people, like, I love bringing you on the score to talk to you about the White Sox, and people get excited when I tweet out that you're coming on because they know that they're going to get a guy who has access but also a guy that's not afraid to say, hey, this isn't quite right. And the, the amount of information and knowledge that you have, it's unparalleled, man. So I, I appreciate you spending a few minutes with me and – and being on the podcast because I think that what you do is really, really good and really important. Well, Lawrence, I appreciate the ask. Um, I love what you do on the House of L. Uh, what you've done for yourself and your career, obviously, is you know speaks speaks volumes of, of you. But you're a good. You're, you're as good as a person as there is in this city and this business. And you know, I, I've also learned from you. You're a great interviewer. You listen. You're one of the people who do. Um, but I appreciate the opportunity to come on and, 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 and be able to let loose and, and 
breathe a little bit because you know we don't get to all the time you don't get to on your radio show all the time which is probably one of the reasons you started this but i really appreciate our relationship our friendship and um i appreciate all the kind things you've said about me tonight and certainly you know through the years and, and the opportunities that you've given me and and you know i i cherish this career and the opportunity to be in chicago and the friendships and, and relationships that i've made and hope to continue to make and no matter what, like you're, you're one of my guys, whatever happens, you know, in the survive and advance business, um, that ain't going to change. And I just truly appreciate the opportunity to come on. Thank you. Thank you. I know that you have to give back to your family, so I'm going to let you give back to your family. <laughs> um, but thank you for this, man. I really appreciate it. Anytime. One of the things that I love about talking with Gov is it shows you an alternate route to living out your dreams if you're someone who loves sports people look at my job and they'll say oh man I want to do what you do I want to be a talk show host well maybe and with the world of podcasting you can pretty much do whatever you want now but if you want if you want to be in the in the spotlight, if you want to work for a big box media company, being the front-facing part of any big box media company, it takes a while. It takes a really long time to, to do that. And, it's, and my point is that it's not the only job you can have. You can have a job like Ryan McGuffey, work your way up, be a producer on these broadcasts, learn how to see things through the lens of a camera, learn how to tell stories, and you can work in the field forever if you work hard and you've got good ideas. And you can be creative. So I love that that he's sharing with you an alternative route to the dream, if that's your dream. And I also think that it, it shows a hell of a lot of hard work, too, on, on his part. His approach to, we share a similar approach with the concept of don't throw stones and hide your hand. Meaning, I'm going to be here. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm going to ask the question. And if, if you have beef with me, I will be available for you to get at me. I, I think that, that there are degrees of that that everyone has to figure out how comfortable they are. Uh, when I was younger in the business, I was a tad more confrontational. I mean, I'm still kind of confrontational. But... It was a little bit more confrontational when I was younger in that where I I would let it be known. Like, basically, my approach was like Snoop Dogg at the 95 Source Awards. We know where we at. White Sox in the motherfucking house. You don't love us? You don't love us? Then let it be known. That's kind of my approach to 
if I say something on the air, I'll show up someplace. And if someone wants to talk to me, they can talk to me. Guff's approach is a little bit more subtle than that. I don't know if he's if he's doing the 95 Source Awards on it, but sometimes I am. And most of those conversations turn out really good, in my opinion. You get some stuff off your chest, maybe some stuff that, that they've been meaning to say to me and I've been meaning to say to them. It ends up turning out all right. But I'm glad that that, that, that guy is out there. And I hope you got something out of his story. And I appreciate him for being on. Really, really good dude. Great at his job. All right. We got more great episodes coming up. We're going to start adding in sponsors. We've been having a good conversation with a couple of different places. Got to keep the lights on. If it were just me, it wouldn't matter that much. But I like paying Russ and, and Jason. So we got to make the donuts. So we'll have some new sponsorship partners over the next few months. And when we introduce them to you, we hope if you have a need, you will support those sponsorship partners. Thanks so much for listening. I will talk to you next time. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.